Welcome to Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell. This is where I help strong, capable women excavate the inner garbage in their life so they can become more confident and have more clarity on who they are and how they really want to be in the world. We have rich, juicy conversations about, yeah, you guessed it, empowerment, but also about radiating your brilliance and loving yourself more than you ever have in your life. And who doesn't want that? So join me now for another empowering chat. So glad you're joining us on Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell. We're riffing on the word empowerment for 2020, and we are now on the letter O. <laughs> and I chose O to represent ownership. Um, and the ownership means, are you, are you owning your truth? Are you owning your successes? Or do you own your mistakes? And are you owning the stuff that's not true about you? So are you giving yourself away? You know, giving your good work away, giving your intelligence away, giving your creativity away. And so I want to encourage you for the next few weeks to focus on ownership. What is it you own currently? What do you want to own? And what is it that you need to just uh, donate away, give away, right? On purpose. Do it on purpose, not unconsciously. Ownership. And in the meantime, like us, share us write a review for Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell. Do, do whatever it is that helps support and give you a sense of owning a piece of what empowers you. Meanwhile, here's our show. So today I am honored. Uh, wow, I just had tears start to come up. Holy moly. Um, I am honored to have a woman who has done exquisite work in the world and she started from the ground up. And, um, and she's now an emeritus of all this amazing work that she's done. So I want to uh, honor and welcome Marsha Bailey, the founder of Weave Women's Economic Ventures. Marsha, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Susan. Yeah, I just, I didn't realize I was going to get caught in a wave of just gratitude uh, emotional gratitude, but that is what I feel because the, the work that you've done up until now, because I have no doubt you're going to continue to do other amazing things, um, has been such a gift to mostly women when you first started, um, helping them develop uh, business skill sets and then also coaching them and teaching them how to really be their own entrepreneur. And you started in 1991 when, when women were still kind of floundering and how do I, how do I live a life without being under uh, an executive's purview, right? Right, right. Yeah, in 1991, you know, we had very few female role models that were kind of high profile um, business successes. You know, I point to people like Estee Lauder or Mary Kay Ash or somebody like that. Um, and they were, you know, kind of iconic, but they were more a brand than a real person to us, I think. Yeah. And so, you know, thankfully that has changed somewhat over the last nearly 30 years, but certainly not enough. Right. I just wanted to say, you know, I was very touched um, 
by your wave of emotion. And I have to say, I, I have that same feeling so often. And, you know, it's, you, you kind of never know when it's going to come, come <laughs> over you. But for me, it often happens when I'm speaking in public. And, and it comes at the same time when I'm talking about um, my staff or all of the volunteers or the courage of the clients who come to us and start their own businesses, because that is all really moving to me. And I, I, you know, I want to say that I feel so blessed to have been able to have done work that was meaningful to me and really touched my own heart all these, all these years. Um, but I couldn't have done it without the help of all these hundreds and thousands of other people. Yeah, I hear you. So it, so it, you know, often on empowering chats with, we talk about, um, okay, we talk about the divine feminine energy that is, is different than the patriarchal masculine energy we've been living under for, oh, three, 4,000 years because it's a collective, because the energy, the, the, the consciousness of that requires collaboration and connection and, um, and working together to create something bigger and better than what is. And, you know, this whole uh, phrase of it, it takes a village, it, you know, yes, that's true, but it takes more than that. It takes a, an awareness that each person comes to the table or comes to the circle with particular gifts and skill sets that, uh, that empower the entire group. You know, and when we come together as a collective to support each other, then everybody wins, right? Right. And I, you know, I've taken to saying it takes a crowbar. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> because, yes, we have, we have this village of women. And, you know, when I just started out with Weave, I met some other women who were just a little bit ahead of us um, in our field. And they were so generous in sharing what they'd learned, their best practices, you know, policies and procedures, advice, all of that. And so it's always made me feel an obligation to give that back and, and kind of, you know, uh, pass it forward. Mm -hmm. uh, but where the crowbar comes in is that we need to change the environments within which we work because I do think, I mean, it's been shown in research that women are more collaborative, um, that businesses that have women on their board are more profitable. Um, and so I found that, you know, over my lifetime, women have been trying to kind of fit into this uh, environment that was created by and for men. And, right. and, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with, with women. There's a lot right with women. It's time for the environment to change, to acknowledge that there's more than one way to do things. Right. I totally agree with you. And I think that it's, it, well, so what we're seeing right now in the world of effects, right? The state of the world, the state of our country, is a lot of those paradigms are crumbling. There's, there's chaos that's erupting because those old paradigms are really kind of dead. They don't work anymore. And this new paradigm, we have to kind of co-create it. You know, there isn't gonna be a hierarchy, right? Of one guy at the top, 
and everybody else is the minions that do the work. Um, it needs to be a, collect, a collective. And because we haven't uh, in humanity consistently recently, okay, I'm qualifying a lot, um, done that work of, of being on the circle, so to speak, of everybody coming to the table. So people get, when I bring this up to people, they get scared. Well, who's gonna be in charge? Well, who's gonna make the rules? Well, what rules are we gonna follow? And I'm like, oh my God, what if there aren't any rules and we all get to make it up together? Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, it, it is really um, interesting. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you go to look at our, our, our government and this idea that there's supposed to be, that people think that somebody who's in a business is qualified to run a government, when governments run by the consent of the governed and and are by their nature uh, have to be collaborative, mm -hmm. um, you as much as you might want to, our constitution was created in a way that a chief executive didn't sit on top like king and hand down edicts, mm -hmm. even though he might try right. <laughs> um, and and succeed in a lot of cases, but. Uh, that's not a good way to, uh, it's not a way, a good way to govern. I don't think it's a good way necessarily to run a business. I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't um, people who need to be in charge and need to be leading, but I think there can be a lot more shared leadership uh, yes. than, than what we have. It's not, because you don't want, I mean, you don't want chaos, but that doesn't mean the same person has to lead every meeting. I mean, for the last several years, I didn't facilitate any of our staff meetings. I had another staff member doing that. Um, you don't need to have this kind of titular head who sits at the head of the table all the time and kind of, you know. Well, it becomes very myopic, doesn't it? The perspective then becomes one, one vision, which is necessary in order to grow a, a company at times, but not when you, uh, when that one person is unable to hear and contemplate different perspectives that might, that, that might be that co-creation that is, is going to cause the business, the company, the, the, your life to expand. Well, right. You know, I mean, I think one of the things that I learned over the years from being in a leadership position and I was, uh, I was really lucky to have people be honest with me about this. It's like, I have run a very flat, non-hierarchy, hierarchic kind of organization. And um, a consultant we were working with said, you know, I know you think of yourself as just kind of one of the team, but that's not how everybody else thinks of you. They think of you as the boss. And so when you say something, they're going to nod their heads and agree. And so if you kind of live in that world where you think that everybody's agreeing with you just because you have the most fabulous ideas all the time, um, that is myopic. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's really important to, that's why it's important to not always be the first one to open your mouth, but to sit back and listen and ask questions and, um, let other people express their opinion before you weigh in. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, 
because it's in the listening that you not only hear what the, the person who's sharing um, is wanting to relate, but you can also listen deeply into, uh, at least for me, I can begin to see how different tendrils of that, of that person's idea could support what we're trying to build by listening, not by interjecting or, you know, but by just sitting and listening. Yeah, it's a powerful it, experience. And in it, um, you know, I think it comes more naturally to some people than others. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to be um, very much a natural problem solver. That's my kind of go-to place. So uh -huh. when somebody comes in and says, I have this problem, my instinct is to just jump in and tell them what they should do. So I have had to learn to really hold back and say, well, what do you think you you should do. And, and I realized how much, you know, this builds confidence in people because they usually already know what they think right. they do. They just need some affirmation of that. So when you allow them to give you their opinion, and sometimes it's a thinking out loud kind of situation too. So, you know, you've had all these thoughts swirling around in your head, and then all of a sudden you have to put them in complete sentences. And you realize you, you do have a pretty strong idea of what you think should, should happen. And then um, all I had to do was say, I agree. I think that's a great path to follow. And then that gives them confidence the next time that mm -hmm. they have the ability to think through and make a good decision about something. I mean, that's not to say that, that you don't want to ask a second opinion, but as a manager, I don't want to have to, you know, I want people to feel confident about their decision-making. I don't want them to feel like they have to come to me to get my stamp of approval every time they make an decision. Right, right. But I would imagine your, your problem-solving skills, that, that thing that's kind of your go-to innate fallback thing, was what helped you build Weave. Looking how, yeah. seeing that there were financial uh, conflicts happening, financial problems happening with women trying to become entrepreneurs or, or at least move into the business arena and how do you solve those problems? So I would imagine that's what your major gift was. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, now we say our, our, our um, you know, biggest uh, gift is also sometimes our biggest flaw. <laughs> so, but, but you're right, especially in the beginning, I would say, that kind of problem solving um, um, nature along with um, just kind of boundless optimism was, wow. was really kind of what made it happen. Because I'll tell you in the beginning, um, when we were applying for grants and you know doing our fundraising and stuff, we got turned down way more often than <laughs> we got approved for a grant. And so, you know, I would get a letter in the mail that said, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And, you know, I would feel really um, dejected, but then I, you know, go home, sleep on it. Next day I'm up, okay, who else can I ask? <laughs> you know, I mean, and you have to, I mean, you have to have that kind of outlook when you're starting something out. Oh my goodness. I just love that you shared that because I, I know for many people and I've gone through it myself, having boundless, boundless optimism 
is not my go-to, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I used to be an actress. So rejection is one of my post-traumatic stress triggers, right? So yeah. to, to be rejected, that's what I heard, turned down numerous times and still get up the next day and go, okay, who else can I ask? I, I'm, I'm in awe, Marsha. Well, I'll say, you know, the first time um, I ever was in a fundraising training, this was great with the wonderful Kim Klein, who a lot of people in the nonprofit community know, because she also does stand up, which is so appropriate for kind of all of this baggage we bring to fundraising, because we're mm. talking about money, right? And mm -hmm. money is kind of the last taboo in our society to, to talk about. And so, um, she asked us, well, what's the worst thing that can happen if you ask somebody for money? And, you know, of course, really the worst thing that can happen is that they're going to say no, but she was trying to get at what are our irrational fears around asking for money. And I said, my fear was that they'll hit, hit me. Wow. <laughs> Just totally. And I, I'm happy to say no one has ever hit me in the last 30 years. I've been I've been raising money, but it's like, it makes you realize how you go to this kind of childlike fear in yourself where, where, you know, I grew up in a family that spanked. And so when I did something wrong, I got spanked. And yeah. so, you know, I mean, that was, I, and I knew that was irrational, but it's like putting it out there you know, it makes you look at it and you realize, yeah, that's really stupid. <laughs> well, and, and then, so when, during the course of the rest of your fundraising, when the, when that would come up, oh my God, somebody's going to hit me. How did you, how did you deal with that irrational fear? Well, I think what happened was, you know, putting it out there and saying it made me realize how ridiculous it was that that really wasn't going to happen. Right. That the worst thing that could happen was that people would say no. And the reality is that um, if people agree to have lunch with you and, you know, I mean, you don't get people there under false pretenses, but um, pretty much they're ready to, you know, I mean, if you, if you do your homework and you uh -huh. help somebody, I mean, you don't, the first time you meet somebody, you don't say, and by the way, could you write us a check for $10,000? I mean, it's just, you know, so there's a lot of, of, kind of listening and looking at cues that has to go on in, in that process. It's a very uh, delicate, delicate kind of dance. And, mm. you know, kind of one of the things that, that we used to be taught by fundraisers was, well, never take no for an answer. Don't stop asking until they actually say the word no. I think that's terrible advice. I because it's I making think, me feel real uncomfortable. Yes, people say no in a lot of ways. They say it through their body language. They say, "Well, not now," or "I need to think about it." Because it's let's face it, it's easier to say yes than mm -hmm. you no. Know. Most of us want to say yes when mm -hmm. somebody asks us for something. So, if you keep pressing somebody when it's clear that they are not ready to say yes then I feel like you're just a used car salesman. It, oh, I was going to say that. Yeah. That was my big bell ringing. Oh my goodness. They might give you, they might write you a check, but then they'll avoid you for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll never come back. And you want 
people to give to your cause because they love your cause and you want them to give out of wanting to help and wanting to be part of that. You don't want them to give because they're feeling guilty or pressured or anything like that. And so, you know, over the years, there are certain aspects of fundraising that I, um, I won't miss, (laughs) but uh, I've, I've lost most of my fear about it. The funniest thing really is the thing that I hate most is the phone call. Oh Uh, yeah. I I would much rather be sitting at a table having a conversation with somebody where I can read their body language and, you know, and we have time to just kind of catch up and connect on a personal level than on a phone because on a phone, there's just so many cues you're not you're, you're not, not yeah you're not getting yeah. and and i think that's the that's where the millennials now don't kind of comprehend you know when they're texting so much there's such a confusion that occurs because there isn't a, a vocal cues or facial cues you know th- right. it, there's just words and that kind of lays flat and it doesn't matter how many emojis you put in there it still doesn't <laughs> you know compete with actual human one-on-one contact exactly it's very it's very efficient, but that's about all yeah. you can say about yeah. it. So Marsha, then it sounds like being um, the CEO of uh, Weave was a lot of fundraising, but, but certainly you were also the inception and the creator and instigator of the programs that were gonna be taught, right? Right. And of course, that's the fun part. You wouldn't do the fundraising if you didn't have that fun, creative part. And um, because I'm a creative person, I started out as an art major. I was always a great writer. I loved writing. Um, So a lot of what I did was developing program curriculum, you know, coming up with marketing, you know, ideas, and all of that was fun. And I, and, I, and I will say that I think it was that variety and the constant challenge, you know, when you run a growing organization, the needs of the organization change over time. And mm-hmm. so you have to learn and grow too. And so the fact that I'm a big reader and I, um, I, I love reading research um, and a lot of that kind of research about women and, and economics and business and stuff really um, would inform a lot of the ideas that I had. And so, you know, when, when people who are in my position ask me for advice, one of the things I always tell them is that you need to block time in your schedule that is sacrosanct for yourself to just think and figure out what's the best context for doing that. For me, it might be sitting in a cafe with a cup of coffee and, you know, a copy of the Harvard Business Review or the Stanford Social Innovation Review or something like that, where you start to read something or the latest book or, you know, where you start to read something and, you know, you get two paragraphs in and all of a sudden your brain cells start to Uh fight. You know, I've got my notebook there and I'm writing down ideas and I'm writing down things in the margin. I mean, whatever it is that gets your brain cells firing, mm-hmm. gets you out of your, the day-to-day, um, you know, that all that administrative work, you know, your personnel policies manual or, you right. know, all this other thing, that's still going to be there 
the next day when you come in to work. But if you don't block out that time for yourself, it will, you'll never do it. You'll never have time for it. I have two clients. Um, one of them came to me at, she's working for a couple of people, um, you know, part-time doing a lot of administrative work. And, and she said, I feel like I'm doing everything for everybody else, but I'm not doing anything for me. And I said, what is it you want to do? She goes, well, I want to create my own business. I said, okay. Um, and, and I, she goes, I have so many ideas, but I don't know what to act on. I said, you know what, because the, these two jobs currently are eventually going to end. Why don't you just start writing down your ideas? Just what you said, Marcia, take an hour out, go to a cafe and just write down the ideas so that when it's time for you to activate one of them, you will know because you have it there but don't let it just dissipate out because you don't have time because you're working so hard for other people. And another woman last night um, at this book study I'm doing on my book uh, called Live an Empowered Life, A 30 Day Journey. She came up with, she's also in a job she's been doing for 30 years. Um, she's her own entrepreneur, but she's not happy. And she said, I wanna do something that makes me happy. And we were working on purpose on what's your purpose and doing a whole bunch of uh, experientials around that. And she said, you know what? I realized I have two business ideas that I've always had. They excite me and I never acted on them. I'm going to take a step tomorrow and act on one of them just by asking a question. I, and I have chills as I'm sharing that with you because I was like, yes, that's, you know, that's how you get to live your empowered and authentic life. Right. And, and that's exactly what we do at Weed because you know, when somebody comes in and they go through the process of a feasibility study and writing a business plan on a business idea, it requires them to ask themselves all these questions. And so there's usually, you know, kind of one of three, three answers. It's like, um, okay, yeah, this idea is ready to go. Or it could be the opposite. It could be, oh no, you know, this, there's no market for this. Um, but a lot of times it's something in between. It's like, okay, not this, but let's, you know, like when somebody goes out and starts asking questions to people to collect kind of market data about what do you need, often they discover a similar but somewhat different need that they could uh -huh. do. Uh -huh. The other thing that happens, you know, and I remember this from one of our earliest clients um, that I thought was such a, uh, an instructive story. We had a woman who she'd been a bookkeeper for 25 years and she'd always worked for other people. And so she came in to write a business plan about doing a bookkeeping business. And in the beginning of our program, we have people go through a lot of kind of self-assessment kinds of exercises to really, to identify like those things that make them happy. Mm -hmm. And about the middle of the class, she said, I don't want to be a bookkeeper. I hate being, I hate bookkeeping. I want to be a wedding planner. Oh my gosh. How fabulous though. I, well, I know the fact that she, and, and I really attribute that to giving yourself kind of the physical and, and, and emotional space to really think about what do you really love and what, you know, and I'm sure all of her, her, you know, her past experience as a bookkeeper, of course, is going to be very valuable in any business that yeah, starts. Absolutely. She was able to identify something that really did make her happy was just, it's such a wonderful outcome. And then they go from there. But often it's, it's like 
it's it's almost like you know talking about empowerment it's almost like we have to ha ask permission i was hearing permission the entire time you were telling that story ask permission of ourselves first right yeah yeah and then once that permission is granted if you will then it then it really does become the sky's the limit because if you allow yourself right to say okay then the sky's the limit i'm going to go for this big vision i'm going to and even push the envelope of that vision because in any bit you've experienced this you just lived it that's why you are an emeritus of weave now but like you said earlier any business needs to grow in order for it to thrive it has to continue to grow. And, 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 and to me, that also means there's reinvention processes. I've lived long enough that my, in my life, I've reinvented, oh my God, I don't know, hundreds of times, right? Yeah. And, um, and some people that have been in a job for 30 years because that's safe, they, you know, they know they got healthcare, they know they can pay their mortgage, the, the stepping out of that box and being co-creative uh, and going for your big dream and growing it can be very daunting and scary oh for sure i i um worked with a coach several years ago and it was at a time where i was thinking about maybe moving on and and kind of going out on my own and doing more international kinds of work and stuff and but it was you know it was very scary for me the thought of you know because yeah, by then I'd been at Wave for over 20 years. And, and she said, Marcia, just because the future is scary doesn't mean it's going to be bad. Right. It doesn't mean you're going to get hit, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's, that's amazing too, because it, I can understand, as you were saying, uh, that you've been with Weave 20 years, a little over 20 years. Um, it's almost like you're leaving home, right? You're leaving family to go out in the big world. Right. And, and now that it's been, been 30, you know, I, I decided to stay at that time. Um, and, and people often say, say, it must be really hard. It's like you're leaving your baby. And it's like, well, you know, there are t we all get to that point eventually where it's time for the baby to leave home. <laughs> and, um, and in this case, it's kind of the opposite, but I, I feel really ready, you know, to move on. I, I, you know, I told my board three years ago that I was going to leave in three years and, and their response was, well, this is your usual three to five year rolling average, right? And I said, no, I'm really going at the end of 2020 because, and there were a couple of reasons. One was there are other things that I want to do in my life. And I was afraid if I didn't, set a date, I wouldn't do them. But the other thing that I found was that um, the organization had gotten to a point where it did need some different skill sets than and experiences than what I have. And in the past, I've always been happy to learn those skills. And this time it was just like, nah, not really interested. <laughs> I hear you. I that's how I feel about technology. I finally gave myself permission to not be, to not know how to do social media. And I have a team that knows how to do social media. So when people uh, talk to me, you know, like what's your, what's your uh, Facebook page, hashtag, whatever the hell those things are. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And they look at me like, 
how can you not know this? But I, it's not my skill set, and I don't have to make it my my job. Knowing your knowing your strengths, and I, you know, for me, I have such a good team, and my successor Kathy O'Dell has an incredible skill set. She started up some some very successful for profit companies in the. Um, uh, medical device field and in other fields as well. Um, and so it feels great to be able to walk away knowing the organization is in good hands. And I've always known that, you know, failure would be if the organization couldn't survive without me. Um, and I, I think so many people kind of feel, too many people feel this need to be needed. Um, and, and they feel great about being super busy all the time. But you need to be able to, you know, walk away and be confident that, that things will go on without you. I mean, that, that's kind of the sign of a, of a strong business, that it can, it can survive and thrive without the founder or without the, you know, the CEO being there. I mean, I've never been one of those people who's checking in when I'm on vacation. When I'm on vacation, unless there is something really serious going on, I don't read my email. You know, yeah. I tell people, it's like, if you have something that you really need to hear from me on, text me because I will not be looking at my email. Yeah. It's not a vacation. You just get sucked into yep. I did that one year when I went on vacation. I was like, okay, I'm only going to do two things. Three days later of a five, seven day vacation, I missed out, right? Because I was right. stuck dealing with stuff on my computer instead of being present with my spouse and our time together. And, and time off is what allows us to recharge our brains yeah. and keep the creative juices flowing. You know, I mean, it's like this expectation that some corporate cultures have that people are going to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week, or, or even more is, is so self-defeating um, because all you're going to end up with is a bunch of burned out people. Not yeah, I, you know, and I would suggest that that's all also part of the patriarchal uh, way things were done, you know, because yeah. it became, you know, as we got into the industrial age, it became about production, you know, Henry Ford and, you know, it was all about production and it's important to be able to produce, but produce from a regenerated and creative place, not, a, not because you've got to meet numbers and, you know, because if you can produce from that creative, regenerated place, you're going to meet the numbers, right? You're going to make your deadlines. You're going to, but if you're, if you're burned out, like you said, it, it just, the work, becomes shoddy. Well, and you had, you had a division of labor, not only at the factory, but at home, you know, mm -hmm. it was very efficient. The man brought home the money and the woman did everything else. Oh, and didn't get paid. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right? Uh, yeah, well, we could have a whole nother conversation about yes. that, Marcia. <laughs> so, um, so for women that are hearing about Weave through this conversation for the first time, what do you suggest they do? So the first thing I suggest is that they go on our website, which is Weave Online, W-E-V as in Victor, online.org. 
and check out our free information um, sessions. You can come to a session. We have them usually uh, at lunchtime or in the evening um, to really find out what our programs are. And of course, you can learn about our programs on our website as well, mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of people think we only help startups and we don't. We have a program called Thrive that is for people who are already in business, trying to help those businesses grow, which goes back, you know, exactly to what you were saying about, you know, businesses like organisms need to continue um, to grow and change um, to meet the needs of, of who their customers mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. um, and and so um, lots of times people will come to our core training program, which is our, our SEP program, our smart entrepreneurial training program, who have been in business for a while, but have never written a business plan. So sometimes it's about formalizing your business. Sometimes, um, you know, in the economy that we live in, a lot of people run a business part time. It's like their side hustle, right? It's their second job. Right. Um, and maybe they want to formalize that and make it be a full-time um, pursuit. And, and what we've seen from all the data we've collected over the years is that people, when people work part-time in their businesses, those businesses don't grow. I mean, it's right. you know, one of those duh kinds of things. Right. Yeah. They don't really have the time to invest in working on the business. They're just producing whatever it is they're producing, whether it's it's a service or they're making something or, or whatever. And it's really not until people start to work full-time in their business that those businesses grow. And, and when they really start to grow is when they hire their first employee. But of course, that's even scarier because all of a sudden you're responsible for somebody else's paycheck. And whereas you can pay yourself a few days late or not at all, but you can't, you can't not pay your employees. And so it's, it's very, it's a very scary thing to do, but in the end, it's what frees up the business owner, you know, to really work on the business and, and figure out what do I need to do to, to make this business produce more income. So Marsha, I have a question. Um, can so, you were saying that people could come at lunchtime or in the evenings, but is there a non-local service, like something online where people could get, could do the, um, the Thrive program or well, the SET we're, program? We're still pretty much a face-to-face. -face. Um, a lot of the, the, um, the business counseling that happens in the Thrive program, that does happen sometimes on, on the phone. Um, we find that, um, People tr build trust with each other better when there's that face-to-face -face connection. But we also acknowledge that it doesn't have to be face-to-face -face all the time. And so we're actually working on creating more blended models of training that that really combine the online with the, the in-person kinds of, of um, classes and workshops and counseling. Uh, one of the things that our clients have said to us consistently over the years is that they really value the community they find by coming to, you know, a class every week. Yeah. And, and of course the accountability that provides, it's like going to Weight Watchers or anything else. When you've got a, a peer group who's saying, Hey, where were you last Saturday? Um, 
you're more inclined to show up even when you don't feel like it or you haven't done your homework or maybe mm -hmm. you didn't get the answers you you expected that you were going to get yeah and for for anybody that's listening as a as a coach and a teacher myself there it's always important to show up because even if you didn't do the work somebody else in the room will have the question that you have right you can still uh be present and have your questions answered and be supported because you showed up. Well, exactly. And, and often we feel, you know, we feel guilty because, you know, we didn't finish our assignment yeah. or whatever. And lots of times there's very good reasons for that. Uh, the other thing we find is that women would avoid um, the things that they were most fearful about. And that, you know, that usually was the finance part of, so yeah. the thing that they, that they needed the most, you know, there was that avoidance <laughs> response, which is psychologically not unusual. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things we've always tried to do, and I think we do really well, is to make that kind of information very accessible, um, really um, connect it with things that you already know, things that you already do in your life. I mean, for instance, when you talk about like marketing and branding and things like that. We talk about, okay, so when you go to a grocery store and you're faced with six shelves of breakfast cereal, how do you go about deciding which one you're gonna buy? Well, maybe that's the brand you always ate when you were a kid or it's the cheapest or it's the one right in front of you or, you know, I mean, there's yeah. different things. And, and, it, and, and we make those decisions often almost subconsciously but when you help people realize that you make these decisions all the time we're just kind of putting a name and a process on it and asking you to go out and investigate and figure that out and when it comes to business finance frankly that's not any more complicated math than we all learned by the time we finished sixth grade yeah i'm glad to hear you say that marcia because there there is a stuckness at times for me when I have to sit down and, uh, you know, look at how I'm paying my team and what was the actual income and, you know, do I get to take a, a, a little bit of a draw? Often not, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And there's also um, a financial, <clears throat> excuse me, a financial investment in any business that has to happen and that has to be attended to if it's a loan or, you know, um, and yeah, and so then it, that becomes a little daunting because now you have a loan hanging over your head and a, and a team or employees you have to pay and all that stuff. So the financial thing can be a, a, a big sticking point. Yeah, I, I, and I found that for me, learning you know, how to read a balance sheet, how, you know, the difference mm -hmm. between a profit and loss and a balance sheet and kind of what they're telling you was incredibly empowering. And the reality was that um, even though sometimes the news is bad, it's easier to cope with it when you actually know what you're dealing with than when it's just kind of this floating anxiety out there. Yeah. You, because sometimes it's not so bad. It can right. be, you know, I mean, there's two ways to, to, to break even, you know, it's like cut your costs or bring in more revenue. <laughs> And, mm -hmm. you know, or a combination of both. And mm -hmm. so it's not just one or the other. It's like, 
cutting taxes is, is, you know, I mean, if we don't have a balanced budget at the federal level, cutting taxes isn't probably gonna help. Help, no, it's like, so yes, we can cut programs, but we can also bring in more revenue. <laughs> so there's, mm -hmm. you know, there's a couple different ways you can go at this. And the, you know, I mean, information really, knowledge is really power. And when you have that, I mean, those, are the best successful businesses because you need that to plan and then you can figure out when I mean, you look at those trends how what are my income trends looking like um, how do i keep that going and that way you can um, get an idea of when you're going to break even when you're going to become profitable yeah absolutely absolutely so the website is weave weveonline.org right and, um, and the programs are available for men and women, yes? They're available for men and women both. They're available in English and Spanish. And awesome. in um, Ventura and Santa Barbara counties. Awesome, awesome. Um, Marsha Bailey, thank you again. <laughs> I got chills again. Thank you again for all the amazing work you do. I cannot wait to see what your next half of life is going to look like as you expand into the other things that you're you creatively have been well, niggling on thank you thank you it's been a pleasure talking with you yeah absolutely so have a fabulous day and i'm just going to end with and so it is namaste well that wraps up our empowering chat today i hope you enjoyed it and if you did go to susanburrell.com you can See all the information about my new book, Live an Empowered Life, A 30-Day Journey. You can also access guided meditations that I have on Insight Timer through the website. And just see what else is out there on my site that you might find empowering and exciting to experience. You can also contact me through the website at susan at susanborell.com. So that's it for today. See you next time. <laughs>